So Genesis chapter 38, starting at verse 1. At that time, Judah left his brothers and settled near an Adulamite named Hera. There Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua. He took her as a wife and slept with her. She conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and named him Onan. She gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. It was at Chezib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife, perform your duty as your brother-in-law, and produce offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he released a semen on the ground so that he would not produce offspring for his brother. What he did was evil in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he might die too like his brother's. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend Hera, the Adulamite, went up to Timnah to the sheep shearers. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, veiled her face, covered herself, and sat at the entrance to Enaim which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He went over to her and said, Come, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me for sleeping with me? I will send you a young goat from my flock, he replied. But she said, only if you leave something with me until you send it. What should I give you, he asked. She answered, your signet ring, your cord, and the staff in your hand. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she got pregnant by him. She got up and left, then removed her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite in order to get back the items he had left with the woman, he could not find her. He asked the men of that place, where is the cult prostitute who was beside the road at Enaim? There has been no cult prostitute here, they answered. So the Adulamite returned to Judah saying, I couldn't find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said there has been no cult prostitute here. Judah replied, let her keep the items for herself, otherwise we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been acting like a prostitute, and now she is pregnant. Bring her out, Judah said. Let her be burned to death. And she, as she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. I am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, examine them. Whose signet ring, cord and staff are these? Judah recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I, 
since I did not give her my son Sheila, and he did not know her intimately again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread around it, announcing, this one came out first. But then he pulled his hand back, and his brother came out. Then he said, or then she said, you have broken out first. So he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread tied to his hand, came out and was named Zerah. Second reading tonight comes from Luke chapter 18, and it's on page 965. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Steve. You might dislike your name. I'm really glad I wasn't called Sheila as a boy. It's a bad name, isn't it? Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you that your word is so real, just full of uh, really messed up people. And Lord, that's us. And yet you love us. And we want to leave here tonight more in love with you and more thankful for you. So feed us richly, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, people can change. You can change. Or I should say that God can change you. What I'm saying is that our God is able, our God is powerful enough to change every man and every woman who is in front of my eyes tonight. There's nobody here tonight who is so entrenched in a sin that that God cannot radically transform. There's nobody here tonight who is so entrenched in bitterness that God cannot radically transform. There's no one here with heartache or hurts that God cannot heal. There's nobody here with, with addictions or attitudes that God cannot change. Do you believe that? Do you believe that our God is powerful enough to do a transforming work in every man and every woman in this building tonight? Because that's the God that we worship, isn't it? The God that we worship is not satisfied with leaving us as we are. He wants us to change. He's not satisfied with taking us as our immature baby Christian-like people And leaving us there, he wants us to mature and to grow and to change. And sometimes that's really painful. Sometimes God exposes a particular sin in our life and says, that's got to change. And sometimes that hurts. 
But that's what God is about, isn't it? God takes the unbeliever and brings them from darkness to light, from death to life. That's a radical change, isn't it? If you're here tonight as a Christian, do you remember that change? When God transformed you to become a believer in Christ? And God takes the new believer, and those early days as a Christian, he's, you, you feel like you're, you're, you're being put through a blender, you're being processed, he's doing so much change in your life. But I hope you're not satisfied with where you're at. Because until the day that you die, God's work is to keep on changing you bit by bit, day by day, to make you more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love watching people change as a pastor. Sometimes change is not noticeable to you because you live with it day by day. But you know when you haven't seen someone for four months or six months, you think, wow, you've really changed. I love seeing that. I love seeing people go away from my church and come back two years later and they're just radically different people. God's been doing a good work in that person. That's what I'm talking about tonight, a, a God who changes people. And if you are here tonight and you're thinking, well, I'm too bad for God, I'm too wicked for God, he wouldn't want to change me. If God can change a man like Judah, he can change a man or a woman like you. Let me just retell the Judah story. It's in Genesis 38. It's a crazy story. Uh, So Judah is the fourth son by Jacob and Leah. His name means praise. And this story of Judah and Tamar will will show just how sinful he is and yet how God can radically change him. So let me just retell the story. So I'm going to be Judah. So I'm Judah. I'm son number four. I've got uh, 11 brothers. There was this brother called Joseph, and we really hated Joseph. I don't know whether you've got a brother you really hate, but he was a real spoiled brat. Uh, our little brother Joseph, he, he told lies, he dobbed us in all the time, and he had this awful technicolored coat that he used to just parade around and say, I'm daddy's favorite, and we hated him. And one day he came to us and said, I've dreamed a dream, and you're going to bow down to me. You, my brothers, and your mum and dad, you're going to bow down to me. I thought, I really despise you. And so one day... Uh, we decided to kill him. One, one day we thought, Let, let's get him, let's, let's throw him in a pit, let's kill him. And I was the one who said, let's not kill him. Why don't we sell him as, as a slave to the Ishmaelites? And it just so happened that this, this traders came past and we sold him for three years' wages. Nice little learner that was. And so we got the coat, and we, we dipped the coat into the blood of a ghost. And I went back home, and I said, Dad, Joseph's dead. And we watched our dad mourn for years and years and years. I, I, was, I was evil. I was wicked. I, I guess it was the guilt, and I, I was running away from God, and I was running away from my family, and I ran away to the Adolamites. They're the pagans. And to be honest, I loved it. I never thought about God I never thought about God's people. I just lived my life. I met this woman. She was a Canaanite, but who cares if you marry someone who's a believer? Who cares about that? I didn't. 
And I lusted after her. I wanted to sleep with her. She became my wife. We had three sons. We had Ur, we had Ona, and we had Sheila. Strange name, Ur. Ur spelt backwards in Hebrew spells E-V-I-L, evil. Strange name for a child. But he was evil. Oh, he married a woman called Tamar, but he did evil in God's sight, so God killed him. And uh, So we gave our second son, Onan, to Tamar. And that might sound odd to you, but that was the custom. If the eldest son died, you had to give the younger son to the widow to bear a child on behalf of his dead brother. And we waited for years and years and years. This child never came. And then we discovered that, that Onan was using his very primitive form of contraception. He just spilled his semen on the ground. He didn't want to bear a son for his dead brother. That was evil. And God killed him. Uh, but I was really righteous. I'm a good man, aren't I? I've got one son left, Sheila. And I'm thinking, Tamar's got a pretty bad track record. Two husbands, two deaths. I, I should have given Sheila to Tamar, but I couldn't. And so I sent, I sent Tamar back to her dad's house at Timna. And I forgot about her, the grieving widow. A few years later, my wife died, and I heard about this party. It was sheep shearing time, and so I thought, there's going to be booze, there's going to be women. I want to be there. And so I went to Timna, and on the way, I, I, I saw this woman at the side of the road, and she was veiled, and she was quite beautiful. I thought, I want to sleep with her. I thought she was a prostitute. And so I went to her and said, how much do you charge for sex? And she said, oh, what you got? I said, I'll, I'll give you a, a goat. When I get home, I'll send you a goat. She said, no, pay me now. And so I gave this prostitute my signet ring and my cord and my staff. It's like giving her my driver's license and uh, my passport and the deeds to my house. That's how much I wanted to have sex with this prostitute. So I had sex with her, and I went home, and I'm such a good, self-righteous man. I, I kept my word, and I sent the goat. Aren't I a nice man? And so I sent the Adolamite back, and I said, look for the cult prostitute, and, and just get my items back. Get my signet ring back. But he came back to me and said, I can't find her. In fact, there is no cult prostitute. And I wanted to protect my public image, my public reputation. I thought, if I expose this, then I'm going to be a laughing stock. I'll forget about my passport and forget about my driving license, forget about the deeds to my house. She can keep it. It was three months later. I got a text. It said, Tamar, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. And I remember I was sitting there, I was thinking, whore! prostitute, adulteress. She's betrothed to my youngest son. How dare she sleep with somebody else? And I said, bring her down here. Let's burn her to death. That's what she deserves. Because she's a sinner. And then she came down and sent a message examining these gifts. I am pregnant by the man to whom these gifts belong. I've had those moments in life where you want the whole earth just to open up and swallow you. You want to crawl under a rock and pretend it's not happening. It's like my sinner being exposed. Oh my goodness. 
I have slept with my daughter-in-law. She's pregnant by me. And so she came to me and I said, she's more righteous than I am. She was just doing what she had to do to produce the air for the line. But me, I'm a slave-trading, prostitute-sleeping, hypocritical, incestuous, adulterous, wretched sinner. That's who I am. That's me, that's Judah. That's the Judah story. It's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. What's it doing here? Got two points tonight. Here's the first one. That our sin will consume us. This is a story of sin and change. Are you surprised that Judah's like this? Are you surprised that he's this adulterous, lying, manipulative man? Look at his family. His dad, Jacob, stole the birthright, stole the blessing. He lied. He was immoral. He was nasty. No surprise the kids turn out like this. This is a messed up family. You know, the, the eldest son, Reuben, slept with his stepmother. So he lost the birthright. Simeon and Levi, son number two, son number three, uh, they, they sought revenge, so they massacred a whole city, and they lost the birthright. So Judah, son number four, has the birthright. What kind of man is he? He's morally and spiritually despicable. I've just listed the sins of Judah. He plotted to murder his brother. He sold his brother as a slave. He lied to his father by dipping the coat in the goat's blood and telling him he was dead. He ran away from God's people. He turned his back on God. He, he married a pagan woman. He watched his son marry a pagan woman. He abandoned his daughter-in-law. He failed to keep his word by sending Sheila. Not long after his wife died, he's feeling horny, and so he wants sex. So he pays for sex with a prostitute. He tries to cover up his sin. He's too embarrassed. He's desperate to keep his pride. He takes the ground. How dare she become pregnant? That's the sins of Judah. Secrets and lies. You know the moment in church when you say the confession and someone says, I'll oh, take a moment to think about the things you've done wrong. Can you imagine being Judah sitting in church? Long list of things he's done wrong. So let me ask you tonight, friend, how do you feel about your own sin? How do you feel about all the things that you've done this week and you did today, you'll do tomorrow, that are, are wrong in God's sight? The big things and the little things, how do you feel about them? There's four things that Judah did wrong, and this is what we try to do. He, he tried to hide his sin. He tried to pretend it hadn't happened, keep up the public appearance, protect his personal reputation. Verse 23 says, let it keep the items, as we will become a laughing stock. I've got to think about my image. If people knew what I was really like, they wouldn't like me. Do you ever do that? 
brush your sin under the carpet, pretend it hasn't happened, afraid that other people might see the real you. Let me tell you something. God sees the real you. God sees everything. He knows. And you know, the longer you try and hide your sin, the, the longer you keep up the pretense, the more burdened you become by them and the more entangled you become in your sin. Don't try and hide it. Please don't minimize your sin. You ever said things like, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's not that bad. It's just a small thing. Everyone else is doing it. It does matter. Because our God is holy. Our God is righteous. And we're called to live a righteous life. Of course it matters to God. Please don't blame other people. I'm sure that's what Judah did. Well, it's not my fault. It's my family background. It's, it's the family I was brought up in. I'm just like my dad was. You can't blame me. I'm not responsible. Oh, can you imagine him saying to, Jude, saying to Tamar, actually, it's Tamar's fault. How dare she veil herself? I didn't know who she was. How dare she not take contraception? It's her fault she's pregnant. Do you ever do that with your sin? Blame your family background. Blame your circumstances. Look for any excuse. Duck the responsibility. Your circumstances may be very difficult and the temptations may be very, very real, but we are still responsible. We're still responsible for the choices that we make and the actions that we take. And please do not take the high ground. That's what Judas, isn't it? See verse 24, when he finds out she's pregnant. He takes the moral high ground. This is the man who slept with a prostitute. But when he hears that she's pregnant, he says, bring her out. Let her be burned to death. Do you ever do that? It's so easy to point out the sin in other people, isn't it? It's easy to look at other people and say, wow, they are wicked, but, but I'm not that bad. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? It's easy to be a Pharisee, isn't it? God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I, I, I've never committed adultery, and I've never looked at pornography, and uh, I, I've never got drunk. I, I'm not like these wicked people over there. All the time trying to hide up what is really going on in your own life. What did Jesus say about a plank and a speck? Take the plank out of your own eye before you point out the speck in somebody else's. But please don't allow your sin and your guilt to consume you. That's why Christ came, isn't it? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. That's why we need Jesus. If you were perfect, if I was perfect, I wouldn't need Christ. So what's the right response to sin? Admit your sin, acknowledge your sin, stand up and say, I am a sinner. In Psalm 51, David says, my sin is always before me. It's really hard to put your hand up and say, yep, I've messed up. Most liberating thing you do. You've been following this um, Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll saga. 
if you don't know this story, it's that Mark Driscoll is a famous preacher in the U.S., and the church has sort of grown amazingly over the years, and over the last few months, he's just... Uh, there's been lots of accusations about spiritual abuse and abuse of power and pride and destructive patterns of leadership. It's really quite sad and really quite tragic. I'm not casting stones here, but what has saddened me about the response in terms of admitting failure is there's been too many ifs. If I have done that, then I'm sorry. And if I have done that, and if I've found to do that, and there's been too much excuses, like, but there's been no sexual adultery, there's been no sexual immorality, as though, you know, abuse and pride are somehow lesser sins to committing adultery. We all do it. We hide behind mitigating circumstances. Admit your sin. Repent of your sin. And repentance is different from remorse. Remorse is when you feel sorry. Remorse is when you feel guilty. You feel regret because you've been found out. But repentance is when it starts with the remorse, it starts with the pain, and then you say, I want to change. I want to flee from that. I want nothing to do with that. I want to be a changed man and a changed woman. And I'm going to show you that I'm changed. But accept that all sin has consequences. Of course there's forgiveness. There's extraordinary forgiveness in Christ. But there's always consequences. What were the consequences for Judah? Judah's living in a house with these two little boys running around called Perez and Zerah. And they're both his sons and his grandsons at the same time. That's a messed up family, isn't it? He's living in a house where there's lack of trust, where there's lies, where there's deceit, where there's pride. There's always consequences. There's forgiveness, but it, you live with the consequences. And sometimes those consequences are generational. We're not surprised that Judah turned out like he was because of the family he came from. But he could have been the one that stopped it. He could have been the child that was different. I grew up in a family where it was just the norm to tell white lies. My grandparents did it first, and then my parents. I don't mean the blatant lies. I'm just talking about uh, you try and cover things up, and you say, don't tell that person this thing, and they don't need to know this. And uh, if you see that person, then please don't tell them that this person came for dinner last night. And... And you live with this sort of this web of lies. Who knows what? Who knows what? And I decided about 25 years ago that that was going to stop with me. You know, when, when uh, John's Gospel said, the truth will set you free. Truth and only truth from my lips. It's been so liberating. Liberating from this web of lies of my past. And if you were here tonight... And maybe you are the, the child of a broken marriage. Don't let that define you. Maybe you are the victim of abuse. Don't let that de- define you. Maybe you are that person who was the least favorite child. Don't let that define you. You can change. It can stop you in your generation. Because who are you today? You're a child of God. You're forgiven. You're accepted. You're reconciled. 
You can change. Well, actually, no. God can change you. You can't do it without him. That's what I love about Judah. God changed him. God took a man who was disinterested in God and selfish and proud and sleeping with prostitutes and committing incest, and he changed him. You see a hint of it in verse 26. I think this is the first moment where God starts to change his heart. Jesus says that he stares at these items and and the, the world sort of closes in on him. He thinks, oh my goodness. And he says, she is more righteous than I am. It's like he changes from being the Pharisee to the tax collector. God have mercy on me. I'm the sinner. And next time you meet meet Judah is in Genesis chapter 44. Turn over to it. Just to give you the background. Joseph's gone to Egypt. Joseph is now the prime minister of Egypt. There's a famine in Israel. Egypt has all the food. So the brothers come to Egypt to get some food. And they're face to face with their, their brother Joseph, although he doesn't reveal his identity yet. Genesis 44 verse 16. This is Judah speaking. He's talking to Joseph. What can we say to my Lord Joseph? How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? We've got nothing to say. We are sinners. God has exposed your servant's iniquity. God has humbled us. God has found us out. God has shined a light onto our sin and expose what we're really like. And then come down to verse 33. He says to Joseph, let me, Judah, remain here as my Lord's slave in place of my brother Benjamin. Let me take Benjamin's place. Let me suffer in his place. Let him go back with his brothers. Now you see the changed man? He once hated his brothers, now he loves his brothers. He once hated his father, now he loves his father. He's a changed man. God has changed him. And God can do that to you, you know. No matter how entrenched you are in your sin, God can change you. No matter how wicked you think you are, God can change you. He doesn't just change you, he then uses you for his good purposes. That's a remarkable thing. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. What type of person do you think that God's going to use in his family tree? Nice, self-righteous people? Matthew chapter 1, the historical record of Jesus Christ. The son of God, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac and Isaac fathered the the cold, calculating, callous, selfish sinner, Jacob. And the cold, calculating, cold sinner, Jacob, fathered the prostitute, sleeping, hypocritical, slave-trading liar, perverted Judah. And the hypocritical, prostitute-sleeping, slave-trading Judah fathered these twins, his grandsons and his sons, by Tamar, who dressed up as a prostitute, It's a messed up family tree, isn't it? 
I thought my family tree was bad enough. This is crazy. There's five women mentioned in in the, the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. There's, there's Tamar, the Canaanite woman who dressed as a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. There's Rahab. Who's Rahab? The prostitute. There's Ruth, who went to the threshing floor to sleep with Boaz. There's Bathsheba. She's mentioned. Who's Bathsheba? Oh, yeah, the woman who committed adultery. And there's Mary, the unmarried mother of Jesus. And as you read Matthew chapter 1, you're supposed to say, God takes messed up, broken, wretched sinners, and he transforms them and uses them for his glory. So let me say to you tonight, you are a sinner, but God can change you. The question is not, can God change me? The question is, will you let God change you? God's more than able to change you. Just often we don't want him to change us. Let me ask you some more probing questions. Why do you want God to change you? I hope you're here tonight saying, I want to become more like Christ. Why? Why do you want to become more righteous? Is it because you want to strut around like a a proud peacock in church and look down at other people and say, I used to be like that, but they're a wretched sinner. I'm such a good person these days. I hope not. I hope it's because you love Christ so much, you just want to become more like him. Maybe you don't want to change. Why, Why don't you want to change? I'm guessing it's because you really quite like the sin that you're entangled with. It brings you pleasure. You're finding your identity and security in it. So how are you going to change? Well, how is God going to change you? I spent the first 10 years of my Christian life probably as a legalist. Way before moleskins had these old daggy notebooks with page after page after page of the sins that I wanted to change, the sins to get rid of. And each night I sit in my book and I sort of tick off these things and cross out these things and feel good about myself or feel bad about myself. Have you ever tried that? It's so wearisome. It's so burdensome. You feel a constant, constant, constant failure because you're trying to change yourself by yourself, in your strength, in your power, and it never, ever works. So how does God change you? By his grace. By his spirit. You can't do it without him. Let me read from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I, I say then, walk by the spirit. Live by God's spirit. The spirit that lives in you, walk in his ways. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the spirit, and the spirit desires what's against the flesh. They're in battle. They're opposed to each other. So you've got a daily choice, friend. Tomorrow morning, you wake up and say, I'm going to live God's way or I'll live my way. I'll walk by the spirit or I'll feed my sinful nature. 
Remember the story of the black dog and the white dog? Saturday morning markets, there's dog fights. This man comes every week. He has one black dog and one white dog. And one week the white dog wins, the next week the black dog, then the white dog, then the black dog, then the white dog, then the black dog. And someone says, how on earth do you do that? How do you train your dog so you know he's going to win? It's really simple. From Sunday onwards, I, I feed one dog and I starve the other. The dog that I feed always wins. The dog that I starve always loses. That's the choice that is before you tomorrow morning and tonight. You can feed your sinful nature. You can, you can entangle yourself with the sin. You can get a thrill of it. You can feed on it. Let it define you. Or you can hand it over to God and say, take this away from me. I want to live by your spirit. I want to live for your glory. I need you, God, to change me. I need your spirit to empower me. I want to live your way today. As you wake up tomorrow morning, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fill your mind with what is lovely and noble and right and true and beautiful. Titus chapter 2, say, say yes to godliness. Say no to sin. So you have a responsibility, but only God's Spirit can change you. And thankfully, God's Spirit is much, much, much more powerful than either you are or I am. And when you hand it over to God, He does change you. He does transform you. I don't know what sin you're allowing to define you. It, it could be an inappropriate relationship. It could be an anger issue. It could be a self-esteem issue. It could be pride. It could be pornography. Whatever it is, that sin will consume you unless you let the Spirit of God change you. Thanks be to God that he's in the business of changing people. Let me recommend a couple of books to you. The book on the left is called How People Change by Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. The first five chapters are all about who you are in Christ, your identity. Get that right. And when you know who you are in Christ, then God will gradually change you. Uh, the second book you can change is the kind of book you should read with a friend. And what you do with this book is that you actually name this one particular sin that you want God to radically change. And you work through the whole book with that particular sin in your mind. Can I encourage you to, to grab one of those books or both those books? Read them carefully. Read them slowly. But most importantly, can I encourage you to find your identity in Christ? To know that you're forgiven. To know the Spirit lives in you and God can change you. Let me say again. There's nobody here tonight that God can't change. There's no sin you're entangled with that God cannot radically pull up. There's no heartaches and hurts that God cannot heal. There's no addictions that God cannot change. There's no attitude that God cannot break. God can do it. The question is, will you let him? So as we come to a time of prayer tonight, I'm going to just give you space why don't you just name before God the one thing that you want him to change in you name it, put it out there 
And then can I encourage you before you leave church tonight to talk to someone close to you and say, this is what I've asked God to change about me. Will you pray about that as well? So bring that before God, and I'll close us in prayer. Spirit now living and dwelling within us, fix our eyes always on Jesus' face. Uh, Father God, I, I, I thank you that uh, your business is to take raw materials, to take people who are messed up and broken and hurting, self-righteous, proud people. Thank you that you humble us and you break us and then you love us and you assure us and you transform us. Thank you, Lord God, that you're in the business of changing people. I pray that every man and woman before me tonight, and myself included, would want to change. So Spirit, do a, a mighty work in each one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name.